Awesome, thanks guys. If you've got your Bibles, whack them open to Ephesians chapter 4. We are working our way through Ephesians. If you're visiting with us this morning, you've picked a fantastic Sunday to come along because we are about to hit some cool stuff. The opening three chapters of Ephesians is all about the scandalous grace and mercy and kindness of God. And it's so beautiful. And uh, Paul prays some prayers that we would know this love that surpasses knowledge. And his desire for every one of us is to not just know it theologically, but to know it in our knower, to know in our hearts that God loves me. And so uh, this is uh, the opening three chapters of, um, of the book of Ephesians. Half of the book is spent just talking about the glory of God and His kindness and His mercy and His grace, and that we have a new identity that we have been welcomed in as children of God into His family, adopted into His family. So then uh, let's just work our way through. Do you want to click to the next slide, uh, uh, Grant, and then I'll take over from there if I haven't broken my clicker? Yeah, I haven't. Miracle. I dropped it before and it split open. Okay, so let's have a look at this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So there's this moment in verse 1 here that's like a hinge moment in the book of Ephesians. As I said, the first three chapters are all focused on the grace of God, the love of God. And then there's this, you know, they say big doors uh, swing on small hinges. And so there's this little hinge verse here that changes the focus for the rest of the book. And basically what Paul's doing is he's going, so there's this incredible truth that you are unbelievably loved by God. And it's by grace you have been saved, not by works. So you don't have to work hard to earn it, you simply receive it. It's scandalous, but it's true. And then he says this, then there's this little hinge where he says, so now I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So there's an invitation to a different life, an invitation to live in obedience to God. But we have to understand that obedience is always a response to grace. God acts first and then we respond. And the tricky thing sometimes in churches is that, as I said last week, we can have this whole thing of you've got to behave before you can be part of the crew. And in Jesus, it's not true. It's the other way around. You can belong. You're part of his family, even in your mess. You know, we're talking about Kanye West a lot at the moment. And I love that line, you know, where he says, he quotes the amazing grace line where he says, God can save a wretch like me. And then the choir's like, hallelujah, hallelujah. And it's just a, such an epic moment. And it's, uh, and it's true. It's like if God can save a wretch like Kanye West, and we've all thought the thoughts I shared last week about Kanye West, um, all of us, I presume, are guilty, hopefully, about that as well. Not just me, the weird pastor, but, uh, but he, that's what he can do. But then in response to this grace, there's an invitation to live uh, in a new way. So Paul, for the next the remaining of, of the book of Ephesians, which we're going to look at for the next couple of weeks, Paul's going to ask the question, what does it mean to live out the reality of this gospel that he has called us together as a church to, to live and incarnate? What does it mean for us? And he's going to talk about lots of stuff. He's going, to, he's going to get into the weeds. He's going to talk about anger and sex and marriage and parenting and money and truth-telling and work ethic. He's going to talk about every aspect of your life. And the interesting thing is that Paul goes there because when you meet Jesus, it's not just like, yay, I can get saved so that I've got hell insurance. 
call it fire insurance. So I want to, you know, the big focus tragically has been, hey, let's become a Christian so that I know what's going to happen to me when I die. And that is not the focus of Jesus' teaching, and that's not the focus of Paul's uh, writing. He's like, when you meet Jesus, you meet life. Like he's, Jesus says, I am the life. And so the beautiful journey that all of us are invited to go on is to work out how to fully flourish as human beings now, to see the kingdom of heaven break into earth, into your earthly being now. And it's the journey of our lives. And so Paul knows this. And so he's got all these things he's going to say around this is the way we now live because of what Jesus has done through the cross. And so he talks about a life worthy of God's calling, which is marked, you'll see in the scriptures here, by humility, by gentleness, by patience, by tolerant love, and by peacekeeping. Like that immediately is like, a sermon series for every one of those. I and mean, we're going to have to rip through so much stuff today as we go through this chapter. But this is like, again, I feel like we need to take communion all over again. I look at that list and I look at my life and I'm like, back to the table. Sorry, Jesus. Smash this back. Eat a bit more of that because I need your grace and mercy to live this. But here's the promise of the Bible that, that God takes broken, ordinary people and transforms them from glory to glory to become like Jesus, who was humble, who was gentle, who was patient, who was filled with love and who brought peace. We become more like Jesus. It's the journey of our lives, but he does this. Let's, we're going to have to really work through some stuff today. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There is a unity we have as a family under the Lordship of Christ. Uh, in the world today, as we are talking last week, there is just a, a concerted effort through culture and through the work of the enemy to divide people. Divide people politically, divide people in every way possible. And the beauty of the church is that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, as I said earlier, when we are baptised, we say, He is now Lord of all. Now that statement today is powerful, but in the early church it was radically powerful because you had to say, if you lived in Rome, it doesn't matter what your cultural religion was, you had to declare that Caesar is Lord. He's the one that can just end my life if he wants to. He's the one that's ultimately in control of this whole thing. And when you became a Christian, your declaration and baptism was Jesus is Lord, even over Caesar. And that's what happens when you choose to follow Jesus. You're saying, he is the Lord of my life. I pledge allegiance to Jesus now. He is my king. He is above every other authority and power, as Paul has already described. He is now, and we are united from all of our cultural backgrounds and all of our, our history and all of our differences. They become secondary to the fact we are now brothers and sisters under one Lord. There is a unity that takes place because it doesn't matter how, like the, most, the two most diverse people in the room today could sit together and there will be a unity because Jesus is Lord in their life. It's weird. Those of you that have done cross-cultural mission will know this feeling. You turn up to another country. You fly in there, you know, particularly the first time you go to a two-thirds world country. You know, those that live in, in extreme poverty in India or, or maybe a, a Brazil or I don't know, you go to, you know, I went to Cambodia last year, you turn up to these, and immediately you walk out of the airport and you've like landed in a different planet. 
because all airports are about the same and all airplanes are about the same. They're kind of like little time capsules. And then you're like, you walk out and it's like, boom, whoa, I'm in Cambodia. You've got like different cars. You've got people trying to hassle you, people trying to steal your stuff straight away. And it's just so full on and confronting and the smells and the noise. And, and then you get in a, you know, you take your little tuk-tuk in my case to wherever you're going to go. And then you get together with a bunch of other believers and you start worshipping the one God, the same spirit, the same presence fills that room and you're like, wow, we're brothers and sisters. There's not a Cambodian Jesus. He's the same as my Jesus. That's so trippy. And it's just the weird, who's done that? It's the weirdest feeling. You're like, this is incredible. The same beautiful presence is in that room in Nepal or in Cambodia or wherever it may be because there's one Lord and one baptism and there's one faith. But to each of us, so, but to each of us, a grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, here's this weird little bit in Ephesians 4. And then it, he, he quotes Psalm 68 when he ascended on high. He took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And then he says, What does ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. That's such a random bit. If you're reading Ephesians 4, and I hope you guys are working your way through this book, so what the heck's going on here? Paul's uh, quoting uh, Psalm 68 here because he's trying to make the point in a very uh, in a way that, that Jewish folks would understand very clearly that when he quotes this psalm, he is saying that Jesus is triumphant. And, and Christ's victory isn't just a victory where he ascends, but he also descends and he triumphs even over death. That last enemy has been defeated. And back in the day when a king won a battle, after he'd won all the battle, he'd sit on his throne and he'll give gifts to the people that were part of that victorious conquering. So Paul's quoting Psalm 68 here because he's about to talk about the gifts that Jesus has given you. Because he has conquered not only uh, a great battle, but he's conquered the ultimate enemy, death. You do not have to fear death anymore. While we pass through death, we do not have to fear death anymore because he has conquered the power of death. We will rise again with him. Hallelujah. So he then goes on to talk about uh, these gifts that he's given the church uh, and he's given you uh, to help uh, celebrate his victory. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So to be very clear, unity does not equal uniformity. So just because we're united in Christ doesn't mean that we're all now exactly the same. You are radically diverse bunch of people. <laughs> like seriously. It's, and it's the beauty of the church is that we have a whole bunch of people in the room here today and the only reason we're in the room together is because of Jesus. It's just so cool. And so there's a diversity here. And interestingly in the Scriptures, it will celebrate the diversity of, of the church as much as the fact that we're unified in Jesus. And so um, while our cultural like, you know, in America right now, there's a, real, um, there's a real version of Christianity that is nationalistic. That's like, God bless America, and it's almost like America first, and then God, and then, you know, and all the rest of it. And there's a huge identity about being an American Christian. But the interesting thing about Jesus is that he subverts the powers. And so when Jesus is Lord, there's all sorts of like, it threatens the powers. And it's, uh, so the, the, point, my, the point I'm trying to make here is that it's Jesus first. 
Jesus first above our national identity, above our even our, like our cultural identity. Now, I, I'm passionate about God, Jesus. He brings culture to life. But identity is not first in our culture. It's in Jesus Christ. It's in His Lordship. That's where identity But even within that unity of saying Jesus first, there's an unbelievable amount of diversity. And it's there for a reason. Because you cannot do the full ministry of Jesus on your own. Like you can't do it. what the way Jesus has set it up is that we have to work together as a church to be the body of Christ, which is what Paul is often referring to the church in this very book. To be the body of Christ, we need you to do your bit. Now, when you first discover what your grace is on your life, and we're going to talk about uh, these uh, these different graces and gifts that God's given us, when we first discover, like you get passionate about something. In our immaturity, sometimes we go, everyone should be that. And we get annoyed with anyone that's not wired the way that you are. So for those that are pastoral care types, your pastors, your shepherds, you really struggle with the prophets normally. So they're like, the pastoral care types are just like, they want to look after the sheep. They're like, oh, we've got to be gentle. We've got to look after them. Then the prophets are like, we've got to tell those sheep what's the truth and what's happening. And we've got to blah, blah, blah. And it's like... <laughs> Or the evangelists, so don't get me started on these guys. Man, I tell the evangelists, I've had struggled with you guys because I'm not naturally an evangelist. So I try to look after the evangelists in our church because I need them. But the problem is sometimes the evangelists are like, if not everyone is out there street preaching, then you're a bad Christian. Who's felt like that before? You know, oh man, I'm not handing out tracts and stuff. I'm a terrible Christian. And it's like, can I just lift all of that off you now in Jesus' name? You have a grace on you to be you. And he has definitely given you a gift. And sometimes there's a combination of things. But as you go through life, you'll discover one of these areas will be your predominant area of grace and gifting. And and what we need for the church to flourish is all of these gifts working together, celebrating each other's diversity, and uh, but unified in Jesus. Going all together, we can do the ministry of Jesus, but I have just one particular grace. I bring one th- couple of things to the table, and you bring a couple of things to the table, and together the table starts to look like Jesus. Let's mix our metaphors up big time. So we've got apostles. Apostles are gifted with contagious empowerment. They're tasked with the overall vigor and extension of the church as a whole, primarily through direct mission, apostolic designs of ministry, and church planting. Uh, these are the dream awakeners in our midst. Apostles are people that like look at Marai Nui or look at the bay and go, you know what? The bay doesn't have this, but we could do it. We could do it. All right, I'm going to organize you guys and you do this and you do that and we're going to take new ground. This, for, yeah, as you can see, I like this. This is me a bit. I'm a, a mixture of apostolic and the teaching thing. I'm like, the Lord, for whatever reason, calls us to church plant in the bay and I'm like, we can do it. We can totally do it. And I can picture in my head what it's going to feel like, which it feels like this. This is years ago before we had the church. And so I know it's going to feel like Luke and Charlotte, you've got to come and join us. Joe, Chris and Joe Keegan, come on, guys. We're going to go up to the Hawks Bay and plant a church. It's going to be awesome. We're going to do it. It's going to be great. The Bay needs a church like ours. Okay, man, all right. The suckers are up for it. And they come up and it's like, and then we take some new ground. And now I'm fizzing with stuff around what I knew. And I'm fizzing with stuff around, I want to see renewal in the Bay. I want to see us get 
frothed on Jesus, and then I want to see that go viral. And I want to see home church leaders. This is my vision talk. I want to get on for the day of vision and prayer. I want to get on training up. We're going to do this. We're going to take some ground, okay? That's the apostolic. They're prophets. They're attuned to the voice of God and how we respond to Him. They are gifted with contagious insight and are called to maintain the body's faithfulness to God. As guardians of our covenant relationship with God, they are the heart revealers amongst us. Oh, again, all of these gifts are so beautiful. I love what's been happening in our church because the, the, those with a prophetic bent are finding freedom to use that in this context. Uh, and, and then when you look at the life of Jesus, he uses this gift with total randoms, but he does it real smart. So we've got to learn how to do that, to be naturally supernatural rather than just weird Christians, right? Um, but the... But some Sundays, we had this couple of weeks ago, where I looked around, and it's probably happening today, but at every point during the service, unprompted from the front, during the weird notices bit, during the, up, the bangers for the kids and all that, I saw people wandering over to someone and saying, mate, do you mind if I just pray for you? I sense that God wants to say this, and just begins to share something of God's heart for that person that encourages them, that lifts them up. And I'm just like, I was looking around a couple of Sundays ago like, ooh, happy pastor. I went back and I was like, you know, I was just so happy as a pastor because like, this is what it looks like for the body to work together. And there were one or two words from the front, which I'm fine with, but where I get really excited because sometimes we don't know who they're for and there's a prophetic sense of it. But what I really gets my juices going is when like I see someone walk up to someone just, you know, just naturally and they just start to share this prophetic thing. It's so cool. Evangelists, contagious passion as they, their role as the primary recruiters for the cause of Christ and listening people into the movement by transmitting the gospel. They are the body's storytellers. So we've got some amazing folk like this in our church who are just like bold as, you know, Andres and Liesels and others that are just so bold. And it's like, I hear your stories, and, and you know, for all the non-evangelists who are like, ooh, Jen's a real evangelist. Like she'll, you know, bold as walk up to someone in the playground and be sharing her faith and praying for them. And I'm like, I can't imagine myself doing that. And I'm like cringing at the thought. And wasn't it weird? And you know, you guys are so bold. There's a supernatural boldness you have. And uh, and as we learn to to really understand what the gospel is, ultimately the gospel is Jesus. And the best way to share the gospel isn't through some rote thing that you've memorized. Nothing's going to do more damage. People smell that a mile away. What people love is hearing stories about how Jesus has changed your life. Jesus, giving him the glory, point, just talking about Jesus is talking about the living, is the gospel. He's the good news. Okay? And then we've got the shepherds who I mentioned before, caring. Oh, you just, you know, I get a lot of feedback from the shepherds actually because I'm not particularly strong on this, and every pastor should be. I'm, I really think I'm going to change the name of my title instead of pastor of the church. I'm going to be like leader or something because pastor presumes I care, and I do <laughs> a bit. Not as much as the shepherds, though. Man, you shepherds, it's like you're, you're telling me who's hurting, who's struggling, you know, and I'm like, Go for it. <laughs> Go for it, shepherds. Visit that person. And you are, you know. Visit that person. Care for that person. Get alongside that person. Send the flowers. Make people feel loved. Uh, and then teachers that can convey wisdom and illuminate understanding of the revelation given to the church. These are the light givers within the body of Christ. Individually, these gifts reflect parts of a whole that's seen. Seen together, manifest the full image of God and the full measure of Jesus Christ. So all of them working together, we see an unbelievable uh, 
power that gets released in the church. And so this morning, we've got, there's, like, honestly, there's so much we've got to work through. Oh, I've lost my watch as well. What's the time? Sheesh. Can I borrow that? Thanks. Um, my watch died this week. Um, man, it could be like half past 12 and I'm still going strong. Um, so, and, and so uh, there's a whole lot more I'm not going to say. But why do we have, why do we, given these gifts, is to be, equip his people for works of service. So not just to sit on your butt in a pew in church, but to be involved in moving the ball up the park to make the church healthy and flourish so that the body of church, uh, the Christ, which is the church, may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So the reason that we get given these gifts, and we're going to pray this morning, if you like, I don't know which one mine is, would love to pray that God would, would bring some revelation about what it is that's the grace on you because he loves giving gifts and he's given you them. You've already got them. They're like in your DNA. But it's just kind of seeing them you know, begin to come into maturity or you start to recognize the grace on your life for these things. But we're given this stuff so that the church may be built up, so that we may be mature, not immature, so that we may have a maturity and also that we would uh, reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son. The knowledge of the Son is not like a unity in terms of like doctrine. The knowledge of the Son that's talked about here is like a knowing, like an intimacy, like a relational knowing. So that we're built up so that we would have a deeper relationship with Jesus. When these gifts are working well, they will propel you to be closer to Jesus and there'll be a maturity that will form within us. And so he goes on to say, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love. Interestingly, just on that, on the speaking the truth in love thing, I'm going to go back here just quickly. I found it really interesting that um, uh, when it comes to the shepherds, a mature gift will confront as well as, con- as encourage. But the shepherd's interest is caring, but it's also every now and then saying, hey, mate, I'm wondering about this. Anyway, so coming back to this. So we're not going to be back and forth. Uh, we grow in love from the whole body joined together, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So let's have a quick look here at, about this whole thing about we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth. As you become mature in Jesus Christ, your ability to discern what is, what is biblical, what is Jesus, will go up. And as these gifts work together, it's actually to help us discern like what's legit and what's not. Because all of us in the room, I, I believe, are like, Jesus, I want Jesus. I want, I want the real deal. And the problem that we have with church sometimes is it's kind of got a bit messy and like Jesus sometimes gets a bit lost. And it's like we get hung up on all this other stuff. And it's like, but actually deep down we're like, I just want Jesus. I just want Jesus. And so this helps us when these gifts are working together where we just go like, Jesus, we want him. We want the real deal. And it's, we're going to open the word of God and work through sort of stuff. But there is a discernment that will emerge in your walk with the Lord about what is truth and what is a bit funky. And there's a lot of funky stuff out there. Okay? And so like if you're early in your faith, it's really important you connect in with the healthy church. And I know that like trying to work out what's healthy is hard, but just try and like, you'll know and you'll know it if it feels right often. But here's the stuff that makes me a bit nervous. Anything that's extra biblical, 
So where people kind of talk about stuff that's like, is it in the book? Um, you know, stuff where there's an extreme emphasis on a certain thing. And you're like, is that really the big focus? Uh, controlling behavior or vibes where you feel like, like, you, like and here's controlling behaviors when like, if you were to push back, it would, like, would not be tolerated. Like there's not a culture of like you can actually have some feedback. Um, anything that's not grounded in orthodox foundations. Like there's some, if it gets weird, guys, let's call it for what it is, that's weird. Now, there's a, there is some just weird stuff in Christianity that is just really biblical. Like, I speak in tongues every day. That's weird. Talk to anyone in the pub, that's just straight weird. But it's biblical and it's brought life to me and it's like I just, it's fine. Then there's stuff that's not biblical and it's just weird. It's like, bro, you don't know about that barking like a dog thing or whatever it may be that you're into in terms of Jesus. Um, so you've got to be a little bit careful on this stuff. Anything that dismisses academic scholarship, I would have massive questions about. Man, I would have real... Any extreme, to the other extreme, where extreme literal interpretation. Like, you just got to be, like, this is what I mean. There's heaps, and Paul's aware of this. There's heaps of stuff that can throw you just off. And it has, and I'm not saying we're perfect here, but I'm telling you what, let's talk about the stuff. At least, I tell you what's going to keep us safe. We can just be, have chats about stuff. And I I'm regularly email theology nerds, that's what I call them, but they're like academic people that have PhDs that have literally studied for decades to understand the original languages and understand what the text is saying and have wrestled with doctrine and all that. I've got about two or three very close friends in particular that I regularly email the questions. And I've got a question this week, which is, um, you know, head scratcher. It's like, hey, boys, I need your help. What about this? What have you thought about this? And so if you've got any questions, honestly, I'm inviting you. Please, let's talk about it. Don't try and work it out on your own. We're a body here, and we can avoid some major pain. Okay? All right, anyway. Uh, okay. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So this is, again, another hinge point moment in this text. So when he says the Gentiles, he means non-Jewish pris- uh, non-Jewish people. And if you've been listening at all over the last three Sundays, you'll be like, what the heck is he saying here? Don't be like the Gentiles. He said a number of times in chapter 1, 2, and 3 that he's writing to the Gentiles. So he's writing to the Gentiles. Then next minute he's saying, don't be like the Gentiles. Be like, mate, I am a Gentile. Uh, So he says, don't live like the Gentiles anymore. I don't want you to live like that. So as I was saying earlier, your identity when you come to faith is not primarily your ethnic or nationalistic background. You have a new identity in Christ. doesn't mean you lose your culture or that your culture is minimized. We've had some issues there in New Zealand. In fact, it's the opposite. He loves the cultural distinctives. But we're not Gentiles anymore. We are sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. We've been adopted in. That's our new identity. And the reason this is so important is that Paul in a second is going to talk about a whole lot of behavioral things. Here's what you shouldn't be doing if you are a follower of Jesus. But Paul is absolutely convinced that behavior stems from identity. So this is why he bangs on about this so much. It's crucial that the first three chapters of the book have been embedded in your soul before we start talking about all the behavioral stuff. And Paul's trying to underline it here. You are not a Gentile anymore. You are a a child of God. And what does that mean? 
He's, he's explained it all in one through to three. Everything in heaven is yours. Every bit of grace and mercy is available to you. You are so loved, Paul, who's one of the, the smartest cookies that's ever lived, cannot even articulate how loved you are. That is your identity in Jesus Christ. It has to start there. This deep understanding, I am God's and I am loved. And so this is where it begins. So then he goes on. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them uh, due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are filled with greed. So Paul's saying like this is what it looks like when you're not under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, I like uh, to play the guitar. <laughs> I like to do a lot of things in this church. I like to be the sound guy, and I like to be the welcome team, and I like to be the packing team, and I like to be the preacher. So lots of stuff. One thing I like doing is playing the guitar. And so what's happened over the years is that I've got calluses on my hands. So when I play the guitar, like there's not a lot of me that's tough, to be really fair, because I'm a pastor and I live a very sedentary life. But my fingers, the tips of these things, like leather, tough because I play the guitar all the time. Now, Chris Domigan, and I'm going to pick on him because he's not here, he's learning to play the guitar, and he can actually play the guitar really well. He's a very talented guy. And the other day, for the first time on Sunday, he got up to play the guitar. And like halfway through the practice, he's like suffering. <laughs> he's like, oh, he needs a little break, you know, <laughs> because his fingers aren't calloused, calloused enough. And Paul's saying this is, this is what happens with our conscience. This is what happens in our hearts when we choose not to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. You choose to make a little decision that crosses a line and your heart gets a bit hardened. And you keep on going. And after a while, you've got calluses all over your conscience. And you've got calluses all over your heart. And you no longer feel what you used to feel in the early days when you did that behavior. That's what, what Paul is saying here. And what, what happens, and man, this is so true in our culture. Like, surely you can see this. He's like, so what happens when you choose to get super calloused? Well, you just get really passionate about sexy things. And you get greedy sensuality and, and impurity and greed just become normal. Isn't that our culture? Isn't that me a bit, let's be honest? Where it's like those are the things that it's just so quickly uh, become kind of, we get caught up in. So Paul has this diagnosis that human beings who have estranged themselves from God, who have said, I'm going to be the captain of my own ship, there's something that happens. We slowly redefine good and evil so it suits us. We excuse our own failures but highlight the hypocrisy often of others and we have these moral calluses. And so Paul says, this, however, is not the way of life you have learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitudes of your mind, and to put on your new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is so cool. This is so important for you to grasp, guys, because Paul's like hit us pretty hard, right? You Gentiles, you naughty Gentiles, don't be like the Gentiles with little calluses and all the rest of it. But then he says, take off this stuff and put on this new identity. And over the next couple of chapters, we're going to see all of these things that he's like, put this on. And why? Because this is, get your heads around this. This is who you are. 
You are a person of truth and of peace and of generosity. That's who you are. In fact, in Philippians 3.16, Paul says a very similar thing, which I love. He says this, So now let us live up to what we have already attained. That's an identity passage. That's an identity verse. Let us live up to what we have already attained. So listen, in Jesus Christ, you are truthful, you are peaceful, you are generous, you are holy, you are righteous, you're forgiven, you're pure. That's your identity in Jesus Christ. You've got to start believing it, church. You've got to start declaring, that's not who I am, this is who I am. So then you start going, now I'm going to start living up to who I already am. I'm going to become who I already am. That's what Paul's saying here. Become who you already are. I love this because it takes all the guilt and condemnation out of the picture. So it's not saying, I've got to work a whole lot more harder. You've got to say, no, your identity is this. Now you've just got to learn to live in it, to walk in it, to be this in Jesus Christ. And by His Holy Spirit, He's going to empower you along the way. I've got three young boys, the three-headed monster of Judah, Eli, and Asher, uh, four, six, uh, four, seven, and eight. <laughs> and uh, man, the, the typical... Boys, they don't know their pastor's kids yet, so they have no idea what's about to hit them, particularly in their teenagers. So they just act normal around you guys, as you've seen, and so they're little monkeys half the time, and they're very sweet at the other time. And so, uh, and often when one of my boys will be a bit naughty, like really naughty in the day, just before we go to sleep, I, you know, I, I, we put them into bed, and we debrief the day, and we pray. And I'm, I'm hoping most of you parents are doing that. It's just, it's such an important thing to do. So we sit, I kneel right down, coming down to their level, and how's the day today, you know? And we debrief the day. And they're clever kids. They know when they've been naughty. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) one in particular, regularly, uh, we debrief and it's, uh, you know, and um, and then we, we pray and stuff. But this is the thing I speak over my children. I'm like, that's not who you are. You are a kind boy. Like, I'm, you're a wonderful kid. You're a generous boy. You're not like that. That's not who you are. You, that's, you know that's not who you are. That's you acting weird. You are actually a kind boy. You're a loving boy. You're a generous boy. You look after others. I speak that over them. So that as they go to sleep and we pray and all that, I'm like, that's, I, I want to draw that out of them. So rather than just focusing on the negative, don't do that, don't do this, Paul's not saying this. He's, I mean, he's going to say that, but he's saying that because like, that's not who you are. You are not that person. This is who you are in Jesus Christ. Get your heads around this. Jesus believes in you. Jesus believes in you more than we believe in ourselves sometimes. And what Paul's doing here is Jesus speaks to him. He's like, that's not who you are, church. You can be truthful and peaceful. And so he goes on to talk about uh, all of these different things. Put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. You know, so this isn't just don't lie, which is obviously in the Ten Commandments and base level. And I've had to come to the table a few times, you know, when you white lies or, the, you know, you kind of minimise and look back to the table. Thank you for the grace and mercy of God. Uh, but, it, but more than that, put off falsehood. So it's like be your true self. Man, emotionally healthy spirituality, how tough was it to be our true selves in front of people? In small groups, how hard is it to actually be vulnerable and to show our true selves? It's so hard. Paul's like, you can do it. You can be truthful about your struggles, about who you really are. You can then he goes on, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So Paul doesn't say, you'll be encouraged to know, don't get angry. 
You're going to get angry. I'm probably going to get angry on the drive home because that's my weakest point in the car is my expectations of the driving of the rest of the people in the bay is very high. I expect you to indicate. I expect you to travel just above the speed limit. You know, all of those things. And it's like, and if you don't, I will get angry. And all of us struggle to varying levels with getting angry. The thing is not about getting angry. You are going to get angry. It's in your anger, do not sin. How do you process your anger? How do you get it out? It's not about burying it, about processing it. Well, I love this. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. I heard this preacher's wife once say, uh, they're talking about the early years of marriage and the fact they're having all these barneys in the early years of marriage. And then the, and the husband was like, well, we've got to sort this out because we, we can't let the sun go down on our anger. And she was like, well, we started arguing when the sun went down. So as far as I'm concerned, we've got to tomorrow night to sort it out. <laughs> But, but we want to move towards conflict resolution as a community. Anger and conflict are inevitable in a group. And as I've said a few times, nothing's going to kill our church community than idealism about what the community should be like. Expect conflict. Expect to get bugged by someone in this church. Otherwise, we're just playing games. The, 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 we've got to get real here. You will leave this church in a couple of months if you think we're going to be perfect. Because we're trying to become like Jesus, but we're not Jesus. We are hypocrites in transition. But I tell you what, if we can commit to work through conflict, we can work through anything. All the people in our leadership team are there because we've worked through conflict. And in fact, Alan Dusto, who's on our board, the only reason he's on the board is because we had some conflict and got through it. And then I was like, I trust you. If we can work through conflict, then we can do it. Right, Alan? I mean, it's just, <laughs> you're in trouble now, mate. Well, I'm in trouble. One of us is probably. We work through the stuff, and that builds trust. So we've got to commit to working through the stuff together. Let's keep going. Do not let any unwholesome talk, conflict's a little too strong. Sorry, my bad. Uh, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. So Paul's talking all the way through. Here's what it looks like. Leave people feeling built up when they've hung out with you. You know, there's, um, I, get, oh, I get sad sometimes because these friends of mine have been Christians a long time and, and in their freedom, they're like, they feel like they can say anything, including swear words and stuff. And I'm just like, it just tarnishes, it's like pollu- air pollution. Now, let's just build each other up. Let's leave feeling built up, you know. Um, again, I've had to come to the table a few times because I've definitely crossed. You know the actual word there for unwholesome talk is rotten? The original Greek's like rotten. Don't have rotten talk. I mean, that's a good description. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit for whom you were sealed for the day of, re- of redemption. So grieve, this is a thinking that says, I don't need you, Holy Spirit, I can do it on my own. So not only do you come to faith in Jesus Christ, now that's a big step. Some of you guys are in the process of taking that step. But then the next step is saying, Holy Spirit, I want you to help me become like Jesus. So don't do it without the Holy Spirit, let him in. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ, just as Christ God, what is it I've got there? Just as, uh, just as in Christ God forgave you. Okay. Whole lot of stuff here, right? I can see everyone's starting to wane because it's like nearly lunchtime and whatever. Here's what's going on. Here's, I just want to finish with this. There's this barrage of like moral commandments, don't do this. But here's, here's what I want you to get your heads around. Paul is trying to, descri- he's trying to raise the water level about what it's like to be in the Christian community. Now, are we going to hit all of this straight away? No. I don't want to discourage you who are looking you know, through some of these things going, oh, I've got a long way to go. 
Honestly, if we talk to everyone honestly in the room, everyone's going to be like, ooh, I've got a long way to go. But what Paul's doing is saying, why don't we hit a high standard here about what the expectation is and cheer each other on in reaching that standard rather than setting for the, settling for the lowest common denominator. One of the, uh, there's two things I've done in my life that, I, that have caused me to appreciate this. Number one is I've decided I'm going to look to pastors around the world that raise the, the water level about what it looks like to lead a healthy church and to be a healthy pastor. Like, and these are people that deeply challenge me around their lifestyle. They're so godly. And around what, uh, what the church can look like. They believe in the church and they've got this beautiful discipling culture going on that I'm like, wow, this is possible. And, we're gonna, and it's lifting the horizons about what can be in church for me and it's filling me with faith. But it's, they're raising the water level. The second group of people that are doing this for me are the boys I meet up with every single Thursday morning. And you've heard me talk about this countless times. Our up a click group, not up a click where we're above you, the up a click group, uh, and we meet together, and, and any boys are welcome to join us. Thursday morning, 7 a.m. at Milk and Honey, we get together, we've been doing this for over a year now, every Thursday morning, and the only question we ask is, how's your devotional life going with Jesus? And we've moved from a group, from being a bunch of boys who had almost nothing going on between Sundays, to a bunch of guys now who have raised the water level about what it looks like to be a normal follower of Jesus as a dude with a job and a family and all the rest of it. And I love hanging out with this group because it's normalised a new water level for me, where it's just normal to, to stop and disengage a number of times a day for some of these guys and be with Jesus in an intentional devotional practice. And our lives are getting utterly transformed as we do this. But, but where the standard was down here a year ago, the standard's now here and it's just normal. And it's like, wow, we've been totally transformed because this isn't just... You know, like there's a year into it. And we've all fallen off the wagon countless times. Our motto is it's okay to fall off the wagon. We just get back on as quick as we can. And everyone in the cafe thinks we're recovering alcoholics and that's okay because we're always talking about getting back. I'm back on the wagon, boys, this week. I'm back on the wagon. And I love it because they've done, we've done what Paul has done here and says there's a new standard that I want to set for what it looks like to be a community that's called the body of Jesus Christ. Because everything he's calling us to is how Jesus lived. And he's saying you can do it, but can you do it on your own? No, you need to do it in community and you need to do it with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will bring life to you. And so on all of these things, particularly some of the stuff here that's super intense. Any unwholesome talk and get rid of all this sort of stuff and don't steal anymore and get rid of all the bitterness and rage. And some of you guys are like, how do I even, where do I even begin? Just let the Holy Spirit lead you. He's great. If you try and just hear it from me, you'll probably feel condemned. If you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, he'll say, I believe that's not who you are. And he'll, he'll identify something in your life that he wants to bring healing to. He'll identify something in your life that he's like, I want you to take that off and put on who you really are. I want to see you come to life. And so I want to invite you in this morning and say, Holy Spirit, lead me. Lead me into life. Lead me into a place where I'm, like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm more like Jesus in this area of my life. And, and maybe that's going to be something like a radical healing like Steve shared about earlier today. Or maybe that's the long, slow process of character formation. Whatever it may be, 
I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will speak to you today and you'll be like, yes, that's who I want to be.